0: a reading from the gospel according to Luke. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed and for For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barn and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. He said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life, your span of life? If then you are not able to do so, small a thing as that, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not clothed like one of these, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will He clothe you, you of little faith? And do not keep striving for what you are to eat and what you are to drink, and do not keep worrying, for it is the nations of the world that strive after all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, Strive for his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there, your heart will be also the Word of God for the world.
1: Will you pray with me? Oh, God, our abundance provider, who loves us always, even when we think we must earn it, even when we think we don't deserve it. Your call beckons us to nevertheless come before you, just as we are, to come and receive the greatest blessing your acceptance, and your love. Help us to trust that in you we are enough, that with you we have enough, and to model that way of living in peace with you wherever we go. And so may the words of my mouth be enough and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you this day, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. On September the 5th, 1882, 10,000 workers took unpaid time off to march from City Hall to Union Square in New York City, protesting poor working conditions and demanding their employers renegotiate hours and pay. This was the late 1800s, the Gilded Age, at the height of the Industrial Revolution in the United States, where the average American worker worked 12 or more hour days, seven days a week, to eke out just a basic living. Despite restrictions in some states, children as young as five and six years old toiled in mills, factories, or mines, earning a fraction of their adult counterparts' wages. People of all ages, but particularly the poor and the recent immigrants, often faced extremely unsafe working conditions and insufficient access fresh air, sanitary facilities, and breaks for rest. This protest march in New York City eventually became known as the first Labor Day parade and inspired local leaders to declare the first Monday in September as the working man's holiday. But the federal government didn't recognize the first Labor Day as a legal holiday until 1894, a long 12 years later, after employees at the Pullman Palace Car Company in Chicago went on strike to protest wages and the firing of their union representation. So in June of 1894, the American Railroad Railroad Union called for a boycott of all Pullman Railway cars crippling rail traffic nationwide, which of course got the federal government's attention. And so to break the strike, the government dispatched troops to Chicago, leading to a violent uprising, the deaths of many workers and police protection. And so in the wake of this massive unrest, in an attempt to repair ties with the American worker, Congress passed an act declaring Labor Day a legal holiday in the District of Columbia and the territories. I don't know about you, but I didn't know any of that. Growing up celebrating Labor Day as another day off from school, another Saturday, I'm going to take advantage of the sales. Labor Day was just a day off. I didn't think about the why that it exists on our national calendar. Which is kind of a shame for me. I'm a little embarrassed that I didn't know that because it took tremendous courage, blood, sweat, and tears to establish this day off for all who labor. And yet there will be businesses open tomorrow, laborers and workers still on the clock to serve those who have the ability to rest. It's a complicated holiday, when you think about it. Labor Day, this holiday that honors workers, this parade whose origins began as a protest march, not float-filled celebrations down Main Street, reminds me of another act of legislation of sorts, to set aside a Sabbath day, Labor Day by another name and to keep it holy. The fourth commandment, to keep Sabbath, is rooted, as Davina read, in the people's experience, lived experience, of slavery. In Egypt, the slaves had no fulfilling vocation, for a slave lives in a system of constant coercion through fear and violence. A slave's energy is consumed with no life-giving return. Any rest given to slaves was just for the purposes of furthering production and exploitation. Under the constant expectation to produce from Pharaoh, there were no choices, only unrelenting orders to keep up with the inexhaustible schedule for making bricks to build Supply cities, bigger and better barns for Pharaoh to store all his crops and resources. So this reminder in the Ten Commandments is connected to the command to keep Sabbath as a way to honor life and safeguard the relationships that we all depend on to live a full and flourishing life. Sabbath-keeping is not a self-care suggestion. It's a commandment. The call to rest and maintain a system of rest for our neighbors is just as important as don't lie, don't steal, and don't murder. Rest. God did not liberate the people from slavery in order for the practices of slavery and systems of anxiety, coercion, and exclusivism to continue. Once the people made it into the promised land. So that's why the commandment is written the way it is. Written long after the people made it to the promised land. You shall not do any work. Not you or your son or your daughter. Your male or female slave. None of your animals. Not even the resident aliens or the undocumented immigrants in your town. Everyone gets to rest because once you had no choice to rest and god liberated you and gave you the choice those receiving the commandments are wealthy their managers and overseers some are even slave owners and god is building into this sabbath commandment to remember when the people were slaves themselves. See, God knows how prosperity creates amnesia, how we remember all the good things and forget, gosh, how bad life really was once we've gotten to the place we wanted to be. They let the people, the people let the means to which they lived outpace the ends which they are supposed to live exploiting relationships in the process so the command to rest is also connected to the memory of remember when you couldn't but yet even beginning with those who received that original commandment all the way coming through history to our present day we treat rest as negotiable I am just as guilty So I'm talking to myself. I don't know about you. I can just keep on pushing, get another cup of coffee, get a little more water, walk around, then get back to it. For the idol, which is what we've done, we've made busyness an idol that grants us social esteem. People see how busy we are and we see more important. An article that I read this week quoted a researcher who's collected five decades worth of holiday letters. Do your family, do your family still write a Christmas letter? Mine does. My dad always harangues us between Thanksgiving and that first Sunday in Advent. Tell me what you've done this year. Give me at least three to five sentences to put it in our letter. And the researcher has found that over these 50 years of writing holiday letters and mailing them out to our wide circle of friends they've come to dwell less and less on the blessings of the season and more and more on how jam-packed this family could get the previous year's activities so based on this archive the researcher concludes that keeping up with the joneses now means just trying to outschedule them and then saying oh right and merry christmas even though we're so exhausted Well, as we heard in our children's sermon and as Jesus has told us, he has a lot to say about this kind of lifestyle to his disciples and that poor person who dared to get Jesus involved in family drama over money. I feel bad for that person who probably just wanted an answer and instead got this whole parable. That life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Because Jesus knows, as the Son of God who liberated all those people all those millennia ago, how an abundance of things can create this deadly impression that we humans can be independent of one another, that we can survive all on our own. Yes, technology and innovation has made our lives much easier than the lives of Jesus those folks in Jesus' day and in the 1880s, when these first protests were necessary. Jesus knew something that the economist who opened our service today, John Maynard Keynes, could not or would not accept, as he made this very rosy prediction in 1930 about what our life would be like essentially now. We're about 100 years out from when he first wrote that article. Advances in technology mean we work more, not less, in order to accumulate more, not be leisurely content with enough. We work, expecting our efforts of work to fill that shape in our soul that really only God can fill, and that can only be filled when we stop trying to fill it. The man in the parable with an abundance of wealth and resources, thought himself independent, a self-made man, maybe a good American. He chose to build bigger towers and storehouses to display his wealth to all around. Maybe he put his name on all those structures, too, just to make sure his neighbors could see his success, and then thought he would rest, looking at all that he had achieved. In this story, the man utters about 60 words. And in 60 words, he says, I and my 12 times. Jesus called this man a fool. Because he said I and my so much, he lost the capacity to say we and our. He failed to realize that he could not do everything by himself. This man talked like he built the barns by himself, like he could till the soil by himself, like he could harvest all his abundance by himself. And he failed to realize that his wealth is the result of the commonwealth, that his rest was at the expense of others whose labor he never considered or acknowledged. His treasure was his own ability to produce at the cheapest price, to acquire, and to get stuff done. That was where his heart was. And he thought he could enjoy all of his stuff, but as the story tells us, he had no time. And I have never yet seen or figured out how U-Hauls will make it up to storage units in heaven. So there they are. Whose will they be, Jesus says. What we give our hearts to, that's what we treasure. Our words may say something different, but where our hearts go, that's where our treasure is. So as we take this extra Sabbath on Labor Day tomorrow, where do we place our hearts really? Do we rest with no thought of others? Or do we rest while consciously making choices that enable a system of rest for our neighbors. Thinking instead about how our participation in the work of society offers a counter-narrative to the never-ending demand to keep up and do more. As followers of Jesus, we make a statement of identity by our labor and by our Sabbath that upholds a different set of values and priorities not determined by the orders of society or driven by production and exploitation, getting stuff done. As disciples of Jesus at Providence, when we go to the other, we practice hospitality and inclusiveness, heeding Jesus' call to welcome and honor the inherent sacred worth of all people. When we practice simplicity, and commit to growing in our individual and communal understandings of faith. We worship with all our senses in the pews and in the streets. Tomorrow in the Apple Festival, we will be carrying a banner in the parade proclaiming that here at Providence Baptist Church, we draw the circle wide. But you know, just by showing up, we're making a statement of who we are. We are Baptists who are for a lot more things than Baptists are against. We love justice, do mercy, and walk humbly with God, honoring the sacred worth of all, and we love a good parade. We're people who care deeply about our community and those who live here. And we're Christians who believe that Jesus meant it, When he said, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And so that means tomorrow and every day we're going to show up where our neighbors are. That's where Jesus is. And where our hearts and our treasures will meet the places and people that keep us connected in relationship. And always helping us to draw that circle wider of God's liberating love. And so when we do this, today, tomorrow, and always, may we hear Jesus saying, do this in remembrance of me. Amen.